don't know how long ago I read this book, over a decade ago maybe, about um, a surgeon from Boston, his name was Atul Gawande, wrote a book, New York Times bestseller, I say that because you're not going to believe it by the title, the title of the book was The Checklist Manifesto, did anybody read that book? You're going, of course I didn't. That sounds like the most boring book ever written. Um, a, a, a book about checklist. What well, could be more exciting than that? Well, here's what happened. Um, he's a surgeon in his hospital. He, in the emergency room, a, a little boy had fallen through ice in a pond, and he'd been brought into the ER, basically pronounced dead, and he watched this boy brought back to life with no lasting effects. And he was amazed. So he went to the ER doctor and was talking to her, how did you do this? And she said, I have a checklist. <laughs> um, I just go down this list and I ask questions. And if it's this, you go this way. If it's this, you go this way. And he was like, you mean a literal, no, a literal laminated sheet that I look at and I just go down the checklist. And he just began, began to, to think about this. And he studied this, and he researched this, and he started applying this. He started traveling to other places, studying other professions. And he wrote an entire book about the different types of professions that adopted checklists with incredible success. Professions where life and death were on the line. Because he realized that in these types of professions, there are two errors we can make. And basically for all of history, we made errors of ignorance. We did not know what we didn't know, right? And so people died. Now we know a lot, and we make errors because we do not apply what we know. And he made this, this he was presenting this idea that experts need checklists, because experts have a lot of knowledge and experts do very complex things. His conclusion was that the more you know and the more complex your job is, the more you need a checklist to help you keep up with things. And so he began to apply this to surgeons and to nurses and he began to see how this had already been applied to airline pilots and even to people who build skyscrapers. Um, because if you don't, if you do something wrong in one of those or skip a step, you know, things go badly, right? Um, and, but he began to see increases, incredible increases in success rates in these hospitals where he would see this applied, both in surgery and in post-op. When surgeons and nurses applied these, it just, it was just incredible, um, and the way it was applied was, it wasn't applied to the surgeon. There would literally be a nurse who was given authority, with a checklist, who was given authority to stop a heart surgeon if he skipped a step on the checklist. Well, I'm sure she didn't do that. That's how I would do it. But no, just to stop him in his tracks and say, you missed a step. Don't skip. But here's what would happen. He would go to another hospital where it seemed that there were struggles and he would present results. 
hey, look, this is where this hospital was and this is where they are. This is where our hospital was and this is where it is. And they would see this incredible improvement and they would say, wow, we would love to have that kind of improvement. How did you do that? And he would go, oh, it was actually quite simple. We made checklists, like real checklists or mental checklists? No, no, like real checklists where you check things off. And they responded, how? With great resistance. You know why? Because really, really smart people don't need stuff like that. <laughs> yes. We're experts. We're too smart for stupid checklists. You know what? That's why you need one, because you're super smart. And he goes on throughout the book to talk about, maybe we all need one at times. I thought about that this week, as I thought about the most intelligent person in the universe with the most complex job, knowledge that we cannot fathom, omniscience. He knows all subjects equally well, all people equally well, equally thoroughly, holds the universe together by the word of his power. I can't imagine a more complex job. And he does not have a physical checklist. But I want to get very, very specific here. The God who created and holds the world together by the word of his power comes to a person in a place of deep, deep darkness. And that person in that deep, dark place finds reason to both fear God and hope in God because God doesn't keep a checklist. Imagine all of that in a psalm of ascent. Imagine a group of people on a journey of worship and thanksgiving, sacrifice and forgiveness, having a psalm like that on their way to Jerusalem and back together. I think this might possibly be the most personal psalm of ascent yet. And I I was just all week trying to imagine what was this like in a community setting? What was it like with this psalm? Like there's a certain amount of humility and brokenness in this psalm. But especially when it's prayed together, together. And yet at the same time, there's an incredible degree of hopefulness. Let's go down to the deep and then let's come out. The psalm is actually, we talk about being a psalm of ascent. This psalm is in and of itself an ascent. It's arranged as an ascent. It starts deeply. Look at the first words of Psalm 130, out of the depths. Now, earlier I read from the New Living Translation, it said out of the depths of despair, but it actually doesn't say, it just says out of the depths, and so you have to go out of the depths of what? Depression, oppression, misery, physical danger, confusion, anger, hurt, sadness, guilt, shame. Like you picture, it, like you picture depths like a cave, a deep hole, a flood, an ocean, Picture something that's dark and suffocating. I've even heard people in the midst of depression say that they felt like they were in the bottom of a deep, deep well and all they could see was a pinprick of light way up there, out of the depths. Can I tell you what encourages me about this psalm? 
depths, depths tend to suffocate. Depths tend to strangle. But I love that out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Depths will often silence us as they engulf us. But here's this person in this deep, deep hole saying, look at the next, I cry to you, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. He uses the word cry twice. This prayer has tears in it. It's a deep place, but it's not so deep that God, your ears, he uses the word ears, like, hey God, put your ear down next to this hole I'm in. There are a lot of things you can't do when you're in a deep hole. Crying out to God is not one of them. But it's a desperate place. God is deeper than the depths. His mercy is deeper than the depths. And he's, he's personal. He's not indifferent. He's attentive. He's not going like, um, oh boy, look who's in the depths again. <laughs> Weren't you this there? Did I just get you out of there? Weren't we just talking about this? No, it's, it's, there's, there's mercy here. He's attentive. He's waiting. The person in the depths needs mercy cries out because God is deeper than the depths and there's mercy. Now just stop for a moment and imagine that as a young child you made your way to Jerusalem with your family every year. Let's say you did that three times a year and you heard this psalm you would have learned from a very young age that if you ever ended up in a deep place of despair or guilt or shame, that you could cry out to God and that he would give mercy. Imagine that. Like, they didn't think, oh, this is a heavy one. (laughs) The kids have heard this. Now, verse 3 almost could seem out of place, but it starts with a wonderful word, if. If. And it's a rhetorical question. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? The answer is no one, in case you were wondering. Um, The Lord is all-knowing. The Lord is all-seeing. The Lord is present in every place. Do you know how easy it would be for him to keep a record of your sins? If you were to mark my iniquities, some of your translation says, like marks, like tally marks, like, like if he were keeping a written record, he's probably got all your sins already written down once, and now by this point, he would just be putting tallies next to them because you've already done that one 73 times. Right? But it says he doesn't do that. 
If he did that, you, you just, you couldn't stand. He could, but he doesn't keep a checklist. He doesn't keep an account. And he, and he could, he could hold very strict justice for every mark. Who would answer to that? This is so humbling and so amazing if we know our hearts well and we know the holiness of God well. And it isn't that he doesn't see them. There's no secrets. It's just that he doesn't tally them. So if you're in the depths of guilt and shame, you need a rope but you don't need that rope to have an anchor on the other end of it. A checklist would be an anchor. Oh, while you're down there, (laughs) here's a list. This is just the last month. Yeah, I'm sorry, this is so heavy. There you go. You're deeper than you were. You're stuck in the mud 10 feet deep now. So merciful, so kind. But with you, verse 4, there is forgiveness. But with you, isn't it beautiful that an Old Testament believer wrote these two verses? <laughs> like you could have stopped them and said, hey, dude or dudette on your way to Jerusalem, tell me why you believe this. Well, we are on our way to make a sacrifice. We do have, we do have a system here by faith. This is beautiful. But with you, there's forgiveness. You don't keep a record. You you wipe this clean. But what a strange end to the sentence. The the NIV, I always find this interesting. So that we can, with reverence, serve you. But I'm guessing you have a translation that says something like that, so we can serve you with fear, or therefore you are feared. Um, we talked about fear last week or the week before um, in Psalm 128. It's like we do our best not to use the word fear and we supply other words. Um, But isn't it fascinating that forgiveness and fear are in the same verse? But it's like no one more deeply, amazingly fears the Lord than someone who knows how deep the grief of their sin is and how God doesn't remember any of it. The depths of their sin, the depths of God's grace, the gratitude and the praise that come out of that kind of forgiveness produces this, this fear. Like, like, if a preacher were to stand year after year after year after year and just preach the law and preach the law and preach the law and preach the law, right, and just fill you with dread and dread 
and dread and fill you with fear of punishment. They would never approach the type of fear that can come from the preaching of grace and forgiveness and mercy. It doesn't come close. If all you had was the despair of never being forgiven or doubt about forgiveness, it would eventually harden you to the right kind of fear. No. The right kind of fear says, where am I going to hide? Oh, I run to the person I can't hide from because I cried to him from the depths. There was mercy. He, he wasn't keeping a checklist. You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call on you. And then it turns to hope, verse 5. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits and in his word, I put my hope, waiting in hope, hand in hand. As he says in Romans, we hope for what we do not see. I love, I wait for the Lord, as if that eliminates a million other people, places, and things in which I can not place my hope. Israel was constantly warned about this, weren't they? Like, don't go run into Egypt for help. Don't go looking to those people for hope. Don't go looking for hope everywhere else. Wait for the Lord. Look, he says, my whole being waits. Every last ounce of me. Wait is the opposite of anxiously running around looking for a solution. And repentance and rest is your salvation. Isaiah the prophet I don't need to imagine my circumstances coming to a disastrous conclusion. I wait in hope for the God who mercifully brings me out of the depths, who keeps no record, who forgives. He says, I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits. In his word, I put my hope. So in his word, there is truth. There are promises that he will never break. He sustains the soul of the person who waits. So hoping and waiting go hand in hand. In his word and who he is. My soul faints with longing for your salvation, but I have put my hope in your word. Psalm 119.81. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait expectantly. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to, to you, therefore he will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice, blessed are all who wait for him. And he gives this picture, verse 6, I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. And he repeats it, more than watchmen wait for the morning. How does a watchman wait for the morning? Expectantly, he knows the morning is coming. Morning came yesterday. Guess what? Morning came the day before that. If he's been on the job for a year, guess what? Morning came every single time, right? Morning, morning has yet to forget to show up on time. The guy who took his place on the next shift may have been late, but morning was not late, right? 
Morning even gives hints that it's going to arrive, right? Little bit of tiny bit of light on the horizon. He waits longingly. He gets tired of the dark. He gets lonely in the dark. Dark is where unknown things live. Right? He hears a sound over here. Whoop. Who goes there, right? <laughs> dark is where danger lurks. A good watchman is on high alert when it's dark. It is tiring when it's dark. The watchman doesn't make the world go around. The watchman does not make the sun come up. It all keeps moving by the will of the creator. Dawn is coming. The watchman knows that. The people at home in bed, they're sound asleep. They have no idea. They're not watching. They're not waiting. The night passes without them even knowing it. The watchman feels it. So when that first hint of light comes on the horizon, when he hears that first bird sing a song, yes, I made it. You know, watchmen don't even have a product. Hey, look, everybody, I brought you the morning. Nope, didn't do that. They just watch, and they wait. And if there's dangers, they'll call somebody, fight if needed. Anybody ever work the night shift? Yes. Do you remember how weird it was when you came out in the morning? It was daylight. It's like, man, it's been dark all night. You come out, and you're like, gosh, somebody turn that thing down, right? I remember when I was a kid, I was really, really annoyingly so an early riser and on Saturday mornings I would wake up at like 5 a.m. and I would go downstairs and I would turn on the TV and there was this thing called a test pattern back before television went on before cable and I would just turn it on and there was that test pattern staring at me and I'd stare at the test pattern because I knew something was coming you know what was coming the Star Spangled Banner was come on eventually the Star Spangled Banner would play and I knew what came on after the Star Spangled Banner Casper the Friendly Ghost came on right after the Star Spangled Banner yes and then cool stuff like the Pink Panther and the Jetsons and Speed Buggy and Scooby-Doo and Super Friends and eventually somebody would wake up somewhere in the house and I would have to do things like take the sheets off my bed and throw them in the laundry and put on new sheets and scrub the downstairs bathroom. Those were my Saturday morning chores before I could go out to play. And then guess what? On Sunday morning, I would do the same thing. Unless it was good weather and then we would go fishing. Until I got old enough to have a paper route. Anybody who had a paper route knows the worst sound is the, in the world is that truck pulling up to your house on Sunday morning with those big, fat Sunday morning papers. Ah, I dreaded that. Am I right, Tartan? It was horrible. Yes. <laughs> on my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. That is a watching and waiting and hoping person. So as the pilgrims made their way on their journey, they would use this psalm. Look what it says. It's, it's, it's an exhortation. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. You can see them looking around at each other. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. Exhorting each other. 
This doesn't describe anybody else. Who else has unfailing love? I don't. His love doesn't fail for a second. With you there is. With me there's all all kinds of it. With the Lord there's unfailing love. With him there is full redemption. With me there's just all sorts of other stuff. But with him... It's better to be in the depths, hoping in the mercy and love of God than to be on a mountaintop in your own goodness. So do you see that in this psalm we have made a journey of ascent? We went from the depths to a redeemer. And in the middle, we got forgiveness and hope and waiting and mercy and fear Unfailing love, full redemption, steadfast love. How many descriptions of God do we get in these, few, these, these short verses? Isn't it beautiful? And so we do, we just wait and we hope. Remember? Remember what we did in the Minor Prophets? Faith looks backwards and sees grace and says, Thank you. Faith looks forward, believes there will be grace and says, Hope. Hey, Israel, look, there's going to be grace, hope. He himself, look at the word, he himself will redeem. Let me give you just a quick, beautiful example of this. Beautiful example of this. Came across him this week in Luke. Um. Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth, described in Luke 1 as righteous in the sight of the Lord. You, you know the story. Zechariah's time to go in as the priest, and the Lord says, Hey, Zechariah, I heard your prayer. Zechariah's old. Elizabeth's old. Hey, I heard your prayer. Which one? I prayed a lot of prayers in my time. The one for a kid. No way. Yes way. You're going to have a kid, right? And this whole interchange happens. And Zechariah's like, come on now. Oh, that does it. Zechariah's struck mute. Um, <laughs> comes out. Everybody's like, what happened to him? He looks like he's seen a ghost. Angel? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it means mute and deaf or not. It's just fascinating that everybody started signing to him as if he couldn't hear. (laughs) No, he just can't talk. He can hear you. (laughs) John the Baptist was born to him. Elizabeth and Zechariah were a waiting, hoping (laughs) couple. And when he got his voice back, this is what he says. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and what? Redeemed them. He was a priest. Do you think he knew the Psalms of Ascent? He was born, he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets long ago, as his word. We hope in his word. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show what? Mercy 
to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all day. To do what? Yes. And you, my child, speaking to this baby, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy, the tender mercy of our God. The forgiveness of sins, the tender mercy of our God, the God who finds you in a deep, dark place and keeps no record of your wrongs. And then listen to this, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness in the shadow of death. The rising sun, more than watchmen wait for the morning. (laughs) Isn't that beautiful? The sun is risen, Zechariah says. The sun is coming up. He's here, the tender of mercy of God in human flesh. And my boy gets to be the forerunner. Wow. The hope of Israel's here. Angel shows up to the... Mary, she will give birth to a son. Give him Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. I just wonder, are you able to cry out when you feel suffocated? Do you know that God is deeper than your depths? Do you know God is is deeper than the darkness you find yourself in. Can you just utter out a cry and know that his ear will be attentive to you? Do you know that this morning? And I just want to make sure you know. Do you ever see God coming to you with clipboard in hand? Pen. Check, check, check. Check, check, check. <laughs> Whoa, racking them up today. Check, 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 check. It's not God. It's not God. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins. Wait a minute. What about the ones I haven't done yet? Yeah, those two. Having canceled, listen, having canceled the charge of your legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away and nailed it to the cross. The checklist... You see the Father coming to you in tender mercy this morning, not with a checklist, not with a clipboard, but just with arms of mercy. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people, his very own, eager to do what is good. Not just redeemed from wickedness, not just purified, not just made his own, not just doing good, redeemed, purified, made his own, eager to do what is good, set free out of a deep, dark well. You pray with me? Lord, I pray that you would teach us to wait until we've waited and hope until we've hoped and pray till we've prayed and if need be to repent till we've repented. But 
Oh, Lord, if we, if we came here today seeing you as the God of the checklist, I pray that we would not leave with that in mind. We sang about the beauty and goodness of the cross and the amazing love. How can it be that you, my king, would die for me? Oh, Lord, may we leave with a song in our heart of the God who keeps no record, the God who is attentive when life is deep and dark, the God who rises like the sun to show mercy. Lord, I pray that we would leave here with hope ringing in our hearts, able to just encourage one another like people would have encouraged one another with this psalm. Just able to call to one another, hey, put your hope in the Lord. With the Lord is unfailing love. With him is full redemption, abundant redemption. Oh, May the world look upon us and see people of incredible, joyful hope. People reveling in full redemption. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for mercy. Thank you for amazing love. We could sing forever, and we will. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, y'all. Have a great Sunday.